This is the Consilience Podcast with your host, Shannon Beer, health and confidence coach and founder of The Coaching Collective, helping dedicated fitness professionals to bring their coaching visions to life by developing the knowledge, skills and strategies to make that a reality. We're inviting you into conversations with experts on body image, compassion and behaviour change to help us challenge our assumptions about health and appearances and critically examine the way that we coach so we can help our clients on a deeper level and create an industry that is truly life enhancing. Let's get into the show. Is the fitness industry harming those that it claims to help? In this episode, I am going to be talking about why our messaging needs to change. And this is based on a Sigma statement that Danny Lennon and I collaborated on. So you can go ahead and read the entire statement on the Sigma Nutrition website. I will link that in the show notes. And that is the place to go if you want to see all of the references, all of the 100 and something references, I think there was 119, that are in support of the argument that our messaging needs to change if we're truly trying to help people. So for a bit of background context, as health and fitness professionals, we have the potential to enhance public health and improve the well-being and quality of life of so many people. And this is because when we adopt a regular movement and improve our nutrient intake, that can have significant benefits for both our psychological and our physical health. And yet despite these benefits, we know that the majority of fitness pursuits are often not undertaken for the intention of improving our health. And in fact, one of the most common reasons to diet and exercise is to pursue contemporary appearance ideals in an attempt to improve how we look and to boost our self-esteem. And body dissatisfaction is a particularly important reason for pursuing weight loss treatment amongst those with overweight and obesity. Even when health issues related to excess weight are at play, body dissatisfaction is a primary driver still. And it's likely that these individuals are turning to us for help, which presents the following questions. Does changing our appearance really change how we feel about ourselves? What are the impacts of promoting appearance ideals and associating them with health? Might we be causing more harm than good? And ultimately, are we really helping anyone? So I'm going to argue that the fitness industry may be unknowingly, unwittingly perpetuating harm by promoting narrow appearance ideals endorsing pathological eating and exercising behaviors and contributing to weight stigma. So the basis of this argument is formed upon the research into body image, which is a complex construct with components that are perceptual, cognitive, affective, and behavioral. So this means how we view our bodies, the things that we think about our bodies, how we feel about our bodies, and then the things that we do in relation to those thoughts and feelings. And it's really important to understand this because every single one of us and every single one of our clients has a body image. And whether we're aware of it or not, our body image plays a large role in how we see ourselves and how we experience our lives. 
It can have a beneficial effect on our well-being or be a cause of significant distress. And in a world where physical appearance is treated as social currency, how we feel about our looks can influence the way that we interact with others, how we treat our bodies, our participation in important life activities, and even our academic and career aspirations. And a negative body image is linked to a myriad of negative health outcomes, including eating disorders, depression, low self-esteem, social anxiety, impaired sexual functioning, and lower levels of physical activity. Not higher, but lower. And people with negative body image frequently engage in unhealthy behaviors such as extreme dieting, overeating, and compensatory behaviors to control their weight. Exercise may be seen as a strategy for weight loss, shaping and toning the body. And these reasons for exercise are associated with increased body dissatisfaction. So that describes a lot of our clients. Whereas a positive body image is associated with improved physical and mental health, higher quality of life. And contrary to popular belief, positive body image is not linked to the disengagement in healthy eating, exercise, and self-care. And in fact, body appreciation is associated with higher intuitive eating, which is an adaptive style of eating that is protective against eating pathology and inversely related to BMI. So rather than encouraging individuals to quote unquote, give up on themselves, promoting a positive body image is likely to lead to increased participation in health seeking behaviors. And this is not a niche concern. Body dissatisfaction, which is the most predictable risk factor of eating pathology, is prevalent in the general population, in our client base. So much so that women's weight has aptly been described as a normative discontent, meaning that it's very common and very normal to be unhappy with your body. Men are also increasingly reporting body dissatisfaction with a focus on muscularity. And research indicates that approximately 60% of women and 40% of men have a negative body image. In addition, disordered eating behaviors are highly prevalent in the population and are a significant detriment to one's health and well-being. And if we're not aware of this as coaches, how do we know whether or not we're really helping our clients? Even if we help them to achieve the surface level goal, which may be a physique change or a reduction in weight, how do we know that we're actually helping to improve their health and well-being? So due to its prevalence and significance, negative body image has been posed as a grand challenge, a large scale, complex, enduring problem that affects large populations and has a strong social component. So the question remains, what role does the fitness industry play in addressing this challenge? Well, the fitness industry is largely a body image focused market frequently communicating body weight, shape, and appearance messages. It's a growing market as well, reflected in the increase of fitness advertising in recent years. And fitness professionals themselves often report pressure to look the part, and they rely on their appearance in order to attract clients. What a huge avenue for this is social media, where fitspiration is posted. 
This just refers to images, quotes, and advice about fitness and nutrition. And whilst it's designed to have a positive and inspirational effect on the viewer's intention to engage in health-seeking behaviors, evidence suggests that this may not be the case. The reason being is that Fitspiration content often contains objectifying images that depict an idealized, thin, athletic female body type or hypermuscular male body type. And viewing these images can increase pressure on individuals to attain these physiques and internalization of these ideals may be detrimental to our physical and mental health. And if we're promoting a very limited range of body types, this carries the strong implication that only a certain body type can be fit and healthy, which contributes to weight stigma and undermines the potential for Fitspiration content to move individuals towards healthier lifestyle choices. And work by researchers has suggested that self-objectification can increase the risk of disordered eating and other negative outcomes. And self-objectification is simply defined as a learned self-schema, which is a cognitive framework we have about ourselves, so patterns of thinking based on the importance of our body and appearance relative to other aspects of ourselves. And this really is what is at the core of a lot of body image concerns, is the fact that we truly place a lot of our worth in our appearance. And it's likely that gender moderates the relationship between self-objectification and disordered eating, with women having disproportionately higher rates of disordered eating. And in fact, the original proposal of objectification theory in the late 90s was an attempt to explain how social environments and the viewing of people as aesthetic objects may contribute to this difference because women have largely been sexualized and valued based on their appearance. So of course, we learn that it's important to look a certain way. However, trends are changing and men are increasingly becoming objectified too, which is partly why we're seeing the rise in disordered eating behaviors amongst men as well. And one manifestation of self-objectification is self-surveillance, which is the continual monitoring of one's appearance. And this is theorized to lead to increased body shame when women perceive their bodies as discrepant with feminine beauty ideals, resulting in more disordered eating attitudes and behaviors. So when we think our bodies are not aligned with what society considers attractive, we're more likely to experience body shame, which is associated with disordered eating, depression, substance abuse, and sexual dysfunction. And men can and do experience shame about their bodies as well. However, the links between body shame and self-objectification function differently in men and women. And researchers have demonstrated that Australian men who highly value attributes such as strength and physical coordination reported more body shame than men who did not highly value these attributes, which suggests that men may experience body shame when they perceive themselves to be falling short of cultural appearance standards for a larger, more muscular physique. And there's also a relationship between the fit ideal internalization and body dissatisfaction, dieting, and bulimic behaviors. And this relationship is mediated by both body surveillance, so monitoring our body and how it looks, and social comparisons, so making those physique comparisons with other people. 
and arguably an industry that promotes the importance of appearance may be significantly contributing to disordered eating attitudes and behaviors. So we've got to ask, is it worth it? Is it actually motivational? And although individuals may describe themselves as more inspired to engage in physical activity after viewing Fitspiration images, research has shown that exposure does not increase a participant's likelihood of engaging in higher levels of exercise, which implies that Fitspiration may not motivate actual exercise behavior. And on the contrary, individuals often experience decreased satisfaction with their current fitness levels and their likelihood of attaining these ideals, meaning that their self-efficacy is impaired. Not to mention, not all sources of motivation are equally helpful. The reasons that people have for engaging in health and fitness pursuits can influence not only their persistence and likelihood of success, but also their physical and psychological well-being. According to self-determination theory, individuals engage in behavior for reasons that range from extrinsically endorsed, such as weight and appearance motivations, to internalized and self-determined, such as health and enjoyment. And those who internalize ideal physiques portrayed in the media report higher body dissatisfaction and are less likely to exercise for fitness and health reasons and more likely to exercise as a way of managing or altering their weight and appearance. So again, if our messaging is about looking good and promoting fat loss, we are actually setting our clients up for less success. Because not only are extrinsic motivations insufficient to promote long-term engagement and weight loss maintenance, but may directly contribute to harm. Engagement in weightlifting or exercise to gain weight was associated with higher odds of muscularity-oriented disordered eating behaviors in males and females. So this is something to bear in mind as we're promoting our services. And for those that are focused on aesthetics, we need to ask whether or not the fitness industry is setting an unattainable goal. Consider that influencers and fitness professionals are typically telling their audiences, either implicitly or explicitly, that by following their advice, their audience too can achieve a physique like theirs. And this is likely never possible for most people for a variety of reasons. The most obvious and extreme examples include cases where an unethical influencer will promote their physique as something to aspire to, whilst omitting to disclose or even outright denying that they take performance-enhancing drugs. But beyond these obvious cases, even when people are aiming to do good, the goal is still unattainable for most. First, those with the most idealized physiques are outliers by definition, and their physique is a function not only of fat and muscle mass, but muscle insertion points, anthropometric proportions, and so on. So even after dieting, others can't look exactly like them. And this is not to mention genetic differences in the ability to tolerate training or dieting, preferences for what individuals are interested in, or other external factors. So the expert that individuals are following has a physique that is likely just not attainable. 
Which actually brings me on to a discussion that I was having with a coach in one of our mentoring calls because he was asking the question of how do you know when a client has cancelled because they are frustrated and have given up on their goals, they're feeling like their physique goals are not a priority for them right now, this was in the context of a bit of traveling, a bit more sort of socializing and life stuff going on versus when they've actually got everything they could out of the coaching and he was left feeling as though the client had cancelled early and part of the problem is that he was very focused on achieving a physique that would have required a little bit of sacrifice and for so many people when it comes down to it they find that, you know what, it's just not worth it to them. So if your business is built upon getting people to pretty lean or extreme physiques that are difficult to maintain year round, then that is actually not the most sustainable business model because research shows, and this is what we were discussing in our call, that when people feel like their ideal body is out of reach, they lose their motivation to engage in exercise and to engage in changing their dietary behaviors. Whereas if we were focusing on health and enjoying exercise and learning how to balance that with making the most of life, that is a more sustainable business model because that is something that clients can continue to strive towards even when their life gets a little bit more hectic. Because again, the reality is a super lean physique is not going to be sustainable for a lot of people and they find themselves caught up between wanting this goal but also being very frustrated with themselves when they inevitably just enjoy a normal night out with their friends which does impede on their goal but only because their goal is a little bit too extreme for their liking and that is not the client's fault it's us as an industry who are presenting these physiques and associating them with success and happiness. So if you want a more sustainable business model where you retain clients for longer and you don't have to continually be doing sales calls to acquire new clients when your current clients get frustrated and drop off, then I would consider learning a little bit more about body image and how you can support your clients to achieve a you know quote-unquote balanced lifestyle but something that the majority of people want it's only a very small part of the population that actually care enough to commit to those extreme physique goals because the rest of us realize that you know, we just like living our lives. So if you're catering to that audience, that's fine. But you'll probably find that you actually have a wider client base when you focus on the balance, you focus on the flexibility and the enjoyment and the improvement of body image. So if that is something that you want to work towards, then I invite you to join the Body Image Fundamentals course because that will teach you everything you need to know about body image how it relates to your client's nutrition goals and how you can help them to improve their relationship with food, trust their body and 
actually live a life that they value. Thank you so much for listening to the Consilience podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with someone who will find it helpful. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and quick review. The topics I speak about aren't particularly trendy or sexy, so this makes a huge difference. And don't forget to join the Empowered Edit, a weekly newsletter with evidence-based tools and strategies to help you build your health and confidence. You will get first access to everything that's going on and insights that I don't share anywhere else. The link will be in the show notes. And until then, I will catch you in the next episode.